Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. And we are here today because, Ed, you have a big announcement about your next book that's coming out later in 2023. Yes, sir. Let's start with it, man. All right, man. It's the 10-year anniversary of Hip Hop Family Tree. And in that spirit, we are collecting the four volumes of Hip Hop Family Tree into one tidy hardcover kind of omnibus edition. It's going to be the same size as your Marvel omnibuses so it'll be smaller than the uh the big hip-hop family tree books uh we're stripping away all the pinups and things but it's going to include all of the art i ever made uh for hip-hop family tree i, I drew a bunch of extra material it's gonna be a thirty-six thousand word uh, essay in the back to kind of talk about uh, the material inside the thing and uh we're working out a way to uh have a cost just fifty dollars for the customer if it if it gets increased it shouldn't be increased by much but it's basically half of what a marvel omnibus is going to cost uh so we're very excited about it we talked to a lot of retailers last weekend at comics pro 2023 let them know the uh the price point and what we're hoping to to do and accomplish with it they're all really excited and uh right now in the description below uh there's there's a pre-order link Grab yourself a copy. Uh, you know, if you have a good comic shop, order it through them. But if not, hit that uh, pre-order link at the bottom, and uh, it's going to be a big book for Christmas. It's going to come out in October, and uh, we want to push it super hard for the hip hop lovers uh, for their Christmas presents and things. This is an amazing project. So, you know, we were talking a little off camera, and I say like every year, beginning of the year, you must have started this around a January first, uh, ten years ago. It's one of those things that like it's inspiring to see it pop up each year. Can you talk about Hip Hop Family Tree in the beginning, the origin of this project? Yeah, totally, man. I uh, was doing these comic strips for boingboing.net and I sort of talked to them kind of coldly. They knew my work because uh, I saw them as an audience for my WYSIWYG comic when I was self-publishing that material, comic book about computer hackers. and. The Boing Boing Maker crowd are nothing if not hackers. Uh, they re would review those self-published comics, and overnight I would sell, you know, $10,000 worth. And then it would be diminishing returns f for the following week, but at the end of the week, it would be $20,000 worth of comics that I sold out of my mom's basement. At the time of the economic decline, you know, 2008 or uh, thereabouts, man, so I uh, needed to make some extra money anyhow and uh, had no uh, thoughts that those comics would sell that much. But it put me on their radar. Mark Frauenfelder, Cory Doctorow. And uh, so they knew me. And I got hired by some rival blog thing. It was Engadget to do these comic strips. And they were kind of tech-centric comic strips. And I, I, saw, I saw Engadget as a, as a rival to Boing Boing at that era. It's like right when blogs started to get press passes and be considered journalists you know there was like a, the, the dividing line like people who were uh, you know um, newsmen were really pushing away from blogs having any kind of respect or whatever but it started to happen and i saw them as two rivals so i, I was like this engadget stuff is whack uh it's boring showed the boing boing people like what i was doing and was just like can i make a comic for you guys on the weekly because i s clearly see the value of the audience that they had, you know, there's very respected taste at, at boingboing.net. 
And uh, they simply said, yes, yeah, give us a weekly comic. We could pay this much. It was very nominal. I think it was like $150 for, for, for a strip. Um, and at the time, they had Tom the Dancing Bug. I think they might still have Tom the Dancing Bug. Uh, so you know what that is. You know, that's like a Sunday-style comic strip. And they had no parameters of, like, what it was, what it could be. I, I did have editors. Uh, so I got this piece of real estate now. And the way that it was set up at the time, there was always a little button on the side of every article to click on. Ed Piskor's Brain Rot is what we called it. And that, that site was going very viral, very regularly at the time because it was the time of WikiLeaks. They had some connection with Julian Assange through, uh, through uh, probably Cory Doctorow and his work at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, Chelsea Manning, formerly Bradley Manning, happened then. This hacker, Adrian Lamo, like all this stuff was going down and they were breaking news and they were going viral often. So there would be these articles that would have a million views and there's a button for Ed Piskor's brain rot right next to all of those articles and people were checking out the strip. But here's the thing, Jimmy, I had no idea of like what to do with that space. I got that space, uh, that amazing real estate that advertisers paid giant sums of money for but I had no idea of like what the comics should be. And I was floating around, man, for three months, man. I did 12 strips of just varying subject matters and stuff. Uh, I did one that had a little popularity uh, about just like reminiscing about Nintendo. And then I did this one about the hip hop comic connection where I just talked about superhero comics and how they kind of relate with hip hop in terms of alter egos, battling, collecting habits things like that and and that that hit that hit there was a way to gauge popularity uh facebook was much more valuable you could put a link in the search bar and see how many people are sharing that link at the time and then there was a site called topsy that uh, you could see how many people and who were tweeting different links that, and that, that caught some fire, and it let me know that even though this is like a hacker website, maker website, that this, I could go down this rabbit hole. And it was January 1st of 2012 when I got the idea to just do a linear story. Like before that, I'm like, I love the landscape of early hip hop. I love the graffiti trains and the fashions and things like that. Uh, but I was like, toying around maybe doing a noirish crime comic or shit like a hundred bullets type joint and i'm like nah dude like like i know more about rap music than than almost any other cartoonist uh, i can what i don't know i can learn and i can use this vessel to indulge in that and that was the deal it's one of the great uh marriages i think hip-hop and comics because of the visuals sure you know and, and you and you establish that in that very first kind of strip concept you know like yeah. superheroes hip-hop look at the similarities but I think of like album covers and yeah. the performers, you know, like there's already a visual element there. You mentioned graffiti and, and on trains and that connection. It really lends itself, I think, in that way to a comic book, a graphic novel, a visual presentation. You you informed the aesthetic, man. Uh, like Props where props is due. And uh, you got that gig from a VH1 where uh, you drew like a two-page comic. Did you have to draw that in layers, Jimmy? I did. Yeah, because, some pieces to it. Because they animated this this comic that you did, and it was it was a uh, it was Grandmaster Kaz talking about battling Africa Bambata, and was the, the, the blackout of 
did the blackout factor into that? Yes. 77? Yeah. Uh, that factored into it, but you used your kind of old school comics aesthetic. And if you remember, man, I was telling you, I was like, dude, I would read 100 pages of this. I'd read 200 pages of this, like, because the art style coming from that time period made so much sense to, like, tell the story in that way with those exact visuals. It made sense that you got that gig. And do you want to hear a full circle kayfabe let's do piece? It. Let's do I it. I believe uh, R. Kiko Johnson is who got me that gig. I think he passed off on it because busy or whatever, thought it was a good fit for me or whatever. I'm pretty sure. And, and it's been some years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, kayfabe favorite there with, with uh, Kiko. So. we got to have him on the show again Definitely. soon. Um, but that was that was the deal. Like So so it's like you you established that aesthetic and did that two-pager. And I'm like, man, like I just got to – it was too fucking good to not – explore further you know so so like that was how the aesthetic got established and things and uh what it was called it was like called hip-hop family tree a semi-regular feature on you know the creation of a culture and i was just going to do it every once in a while because it took a lot it took a lot of research uh and I, i had a deadline every tuesday so uh so it's like it ultimately became very regular after I posted the first one and saw that like more than 10,000 people tweeted it, uh, more than 10,000 people, it was like 30,000 people on Facebook shared it around and stuff uh, within two hours. Uh, I, I, I put the first three pages together and once again, $150 I made that week. You know what I'm saying? Man, I put all my energy to that and I felt so good about it. And uh, my thought was like, this could, this is a comic. Like I, I do enough of these, like that could be something real sexy. Uh, but what I would typically do when I put a strip out is I would be working on other stuff and hitting refresh to see just how popular, you know, the past week's strip was or something. When that one came out, I was like, you know, I don't want to do more. I have to leave. I have to get out of the house, man. So, so I would, uh, I caught lunch with Tom and, uh, somebody else, I forget. Uh, but it was an exercise of staying away from the computer. Uh, and it was two hours from the time that it, went live you know like so i got back home at like 11 a.m or something and then i looked and in two hours more than 10 people on twitter 10 10, people on twitter more than like thirty thousand on facebook and i'm like that fucking rocks man it's a bolstering of this idea of like i this this feels dope like i think people will dig this clear evidence when you know my prior strips might never hit four figures of tweets or something like that. Uh, might not hit 500, uh, some of them, you know. Uh, so it would have been foolish not to have uh, continued down that. And it became very regular every week, man. And sometimes it would be at least two pages a week, sometimes three uh, for four and a half years, man, with with pre- primo real estate on Boing Boing when it was probably at its most popular. Man, there's a lot to unpack there. I want to get into the research stuff. Yeah, I, I love the nonfiction avenue, and uh, it's something that I think we'll talk about more as we talk about like s- selling this, you mm. know, and, and how stores can continue to sell this and why it's evergreen. Uh, really exciting stuff. But you're also lev- lev- leveraging the tech, you yeah. know, like being able to track like, okay, this is something I'm interested in. I've done a series of these on different topics, and look at the spike on this one. Yep. you know that's so important. I think. To just recognize you've got something here. Totally. And something that you're interested in. And I think that's something that we could all exploit as, as makers uh, with your own Instagrams. Uh, and it will never be the piece that you worked your ass off. Uh, right. When you post it on Instagram, the piece that you are necessarily closest to, 
uh, that will not be the one that hits the viral <laughs> sure. energy that will not get, you know, 5,000 hearts or whatever. It'll be something else that's more relatable, more general, maybe more populist, if, if, to, to, to use, a, uh, you know, that word. Um, but this was a case where the thing that I was stoked on and I just felt a buzz making it and it felt like everything clicked. It's like the only time where it's like, okay, I want to do this. The second time is cartoonist kayfabe, to be honest, where it's like, dude, we got to do this. I think it'll work. Uh, this was the one time in comics where it's like, okay, I got to do this thing because I think people will dig it. And then they showed up better than everything else. This is a little bit of an aside, but it's something that always stuck with me. You were doing this on a weekly schedule. Yeah. Which is kind of classic cartoonist, you know, as fans of the history of comics, like that's bedrock of comics. Right. And I can remember you saying, like, delivering it each week on deadline, you've had the same feeling as, like, when you deliver the book to the printer or yeah, the publisher. Yeah, totally, totally. And that always stuck with me as, like, man, you got to harness that energy. And you had that, I feel like, throughout this process. You know, we were in contact then, and I would see that kind of, like, I don't know, juice, for lack of a better word. But it really felt like, you know, whenever you're clicking, I don't know, man, there's something about it. You can almost sense it. It takes a long time to make comics, and we got to do a lot of brain hacking to stay enthused and to stay energized while making the comics. So uh, to, to finish each page is a victory one. Yeah, you, you didn't like you took the time to make that page when you could have been having a lot of fun, especially you work from home. Right. Like <laughs> most cartoonists work from home and all of your creature comforts are there. So that's a lot of distraction. Uh, and um, certainly in the kind of blue collar setting that, that I am from with all the friends that I've had, like oh, you know, when I was young and things um, it's blue collar people that like what, what they, they couldn't understand why I was just chilling indoors doing this thing. And so I, I actually had some negativity from, from my closest people uh, that um, could have been a defeating thing. I've seen that defeat people. Uh, so it's just like you have to build small victories. And uh, when we were talking about that idea, that phenomenon of like, the, I feel the same feeling of completion as I do like when the book comes out. Um, the book is the ultimate statement. And the hope was that like, that that would be the juice, you know, like the, the book, because obviously it's a much bigger accomplishment. It just felt the same. But like, that's okay. Because because you have that constant energy. And like with this with this omnibus that we are like we're just trying to polish a gem, you know, and, and like make this thing the best that it can be. Like we're keeping these babies out there for sure, man, because we built a big audience over ten years. It might be close to a million, uh, between the four of these things and, and the box set. Uh but there are, sometimes the store doesn't have a volume three or a volume four or something, and somebody or or the uh size of the book is, is uh it's hard it's unwieldy like on the train or something. And like, this is like a more manageable chunk. It's also, um, you know, it's hip hop. Like this can be the only comic some people have. It's true. And they get there through their interest in hip hop as opposed to being there at the comic book shop every Wednesday. So having it all in one book makes total sense. We, yeah, we talk we talk about it a lot. You know, we go through manga a lot. I'm, I'm itching to get back to Japan. Uh, like I, I was like looking at the calendar. It's like, you know what? Maybe eight months from now or something like the, the next trip will happen. And uh, as cartoonists, and 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 myself in particular, uh, when when ma making comics and choosing the projects that I do, I'm thinking of the wider audience, man, the wider potential audience. 
So that hacker comic filled a niche that was untapped and got a lot of promotion within Silicon Valley. And it just so happened at that time, Silicon Valley started to create their own kind of entertainment landscapes because they invented podcasting and the first major podcasts and stuff were, were tech podcasts. Uh, and they had their video shows and all that kind of, you know, RSS feed blogs and stuff. So like I was feeding, like feeding that audience, Hip Hop Family Tree, very clear. It's the rap music joint. When I did X-Men Grand Design and we heard it at that Comics Pro joint from the other retailers, they were so stoked to be able to have an X-Men comic that talked about a lot of the history, just like, uh, just like Hulk Grand Design. And uh, what do you gravitate to when you read this? What, what? aesthetics do you like in terms of costumes or whatever or storyline and then we could feed you the bigger dose of that because those comics aren't built uh you know f they're not built for like reading one or something you know what i'm saying so my thoughts have always been think about everybody else and not just trying to like follow a trend within our very tiny microcosm you know so i also think of it as um everything is a selfish filter for me. Mm -hmm. So I, I've been for years on the kick of like, I'm just buying people for gifts, comics. Yeah. Like this is it. This is where I'm planting my flag. Right. This is the hill I'm going to die on. And you search for this. You search for books that make sense as gift books. Right. And that's really what you're making. I think more with the omnibus even than like these, the treasury editions, right. which when they came out, it was super cool. Love them. Amazing format. You know, I'm a fan, but the treasure, the, the omnibus to me, that's the ultimate gift piece especially for the person who buys comics and knows comics and has the ins at the comic shop. And they've got the friends who love music, love hip hop, love pop culture, but comics are hard to know where to enter. It's true. So, you know, you can be that guide at home listening to this or thinking of that guy that you're friends with that you want. What's the perfect gift? A little bit off the beaten path because maybe they don't know comics. This is the thing. That's, that's the fun thing about the book too, man, is like getting feedback from people who are like, this this is the first comic I've read maybe ever. Right. Uh, I've gotten feedback where I think it was very clear that it was the first book or maybe only book that a, a person has because they'll talk about, like, I remember uh, more than once getting emails where, where uh, dudes were like, yeah, that part in the back of the book that's like the telephone book that tells you what page everything is on. And I'm like, the index? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like, that. I mean, that's just clear evidence that, like, that, like, this dude doesn't have books in the crib, you yeah, know? Sure. but he's got the hip hop book because it's a subject matter that he digs. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's gratifying. I like that, that part. And that's my, that's my thought is like nature abhors a vacuum. So fill this little gap and I'll talk to all those, all these people here when everybody else is serving people over, over there. And it's really worked out. And at the time that this book came out, stuff started happening, you know, like, like like Raina found her niche and filled a vacuum that was being completely untapped and had great success. Gene Moon Yang was doing his thing, you know? Like uh, the big publishers started getting into the game a little bit more and started to create projects. It felt like they created projects of different differing subject matter to try to like fill those gaps. So that stuff was really establishing 10 years ago. And we'd given everybody a decade, you know, to like, see how this all shakes out, establish your structure in terms of business and everything. So like this book is going to like slide right in and the price point is perfect. Like I have that like Lost Girls top shelf book. It's $50 and it's, it'll be the same amount of pages, oversized, has some gold on the cover and shit. 
So uh, I, I have a lot of confidence we're going to keep that price down. And uh, when we talked to those retailers and they heard that that 50 buck price, like they were so stoked. Like, like, like silver they, dollar eyeballs. Totally. Whenever you rolled out $50, you could see them in their head almost calculating like, yep, this is going to sit up by the cash register all through holiday season or while supplies last. And that's the thing. <laughs> like, like, you know, we got to go to press. Part, a function of having the cheaper price is... Uh, freight you know that's a lot of books that's a heavy book uh thousands of pounds so we're tons of pounds of of comics are coming uh to america to to you know be distributed around and we're going to press reasonably soon uh with that in mind that we don't need it till october so they could print them up and it could take its good old time sitting on a vessel coming across the pacific or whatever to get to america and that's how we can keep the freight costs down so that we could keep a cheap cheap price, but you hit the nail on the head. We have to gauge the res- the response. And what happened with Hip Hop Family Tree initially? We could not keep it in stores, and it was supremely frustrating to me with with Fantagraphics uh, because they 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 um, miscalculated. They didn't realize like I, like I'm. I'm not just like a regular cartoonist who's like sitting in a house doing their thing, who's new on the scene or whatever. Like I have this weekly platform on a website that has millions of viewers. Uh, I I was able to take a look at something. They would show me something. One of the editors would show me something where like each week there would be like something like 30,000 people would go through all the pages each week, you know, and like each strip would have, you know, X number, but there would be... Uh, like tens of thousands of people who would go through the back catalog within that week. And it's like, I guess they, they didn't believe me or they just didn't, didn't, they didn't consider, man. So like it could not stay on the shelves. It's in its like ninth or 10th printing, the the, the first volume uh, at this point. And uh, it, when it came out, they let me know, oh man, it's sold out. Like that, like that day, like I, I we were at uh, Phantom or something doing, or Copacetic doing the signing. And got the call. Hey, it's it's sold out, and I'm like, so the money tap is is off now. Like now 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 I have to sit here and wait. And then they they got the reprints and they and they kept they kept that print run reasonably the same as as the the earlier that lasted two days. <laughs> so uh, we're putting that announcement out right now. You know, like like uh, um, there, there's a typical way that these kind of things are rolled out. But we are not typical cartoonists uh, with the cartoonist kayfabe platform. We've got a big audience. And uh, my thought is, and I'm going, okay, if it's an experiment that deviates from the norm of Fantagraphics publicity, then, uh, then it's my cross to bear, you know, like, like I, will, uh, I will accept all consequences. But it just seems to me that it ain't a bad idea to shout from our pulpit here that we have this, that I have this book coming out later this year that i'm extremely excited about it and uh that you need to get your hands on it by by any means and uh order early because we have to have some idea about how many of these things to print and there is no uh telling if it's gonna just disappear right away yeah that that would be my expectation given its track record right um worth noting i I think you mentioned it earlier but one thing that retailers asked about at comics pro are you keeping these the treasury editions? Will they still be around? Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, we're, we're keep we're keeping them in print. Uh, we're we're thinking of it. It's a different audience. Uh, there are very successful comic book uh, YouTube channels 
that deal only in omnibuses and they deal to an audience of only omnibus uh, buyers. There are Reddit pages that cater to omnibus size people. So we're it's like speaking that kind of comic language when we call it the Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus. Uh, but that omnibus audience is its own thing and it's legion. It's a lot of people. Uh, the the average like hip hop fan who isn't involved in comics culture, they're just seeing a big ass book that's fifty dollars about like their favorite genre of music. So they'll be fine, you know, they'll be into it. And uh comics is small enough of a niche that uh even at selling like maybe close to a million or whatever, that isn't billion a billion. There's still people that are getting introduced to it all the time. I get tagged on uh, Instagram all the time with people who just discovered it. So this can be an ultimate statement for those people. You know, like where you see the one big book and like you, you go for that rather than, you know, filling the gaps in your collection of the, of the big stuff. Yeah, I imagine this being a very popular library trade. I know the Carnegie Library has tons of omnibuses. I think the hardcover big format is something that libraries have latched onto as well, not just collectors. Yeah. And this feels like it would be right at home in any library. Um, you know, whenever the books came out, I think that was proof of the first edition of print where it was like, it just keeps new audiences. You right. know, where you meet these people is going to be different every single day. Totally, totally. And I never felt comfortable with um, the idea that like, my book has found its audience kind of thing. Like, like, you know, we've come up, there's been a lot of attrition over the past 20 years knowing each other here, here in Pittsburgh and stuff, and people have come, people have gone, and it's like you, me, and Tom have stuck it through. And I've heard that flawed logic from, from some of our friends who are like, oh, well, my, my comic found, found the audience that it's going to find. Right. And that's a ridiculous notion to me. Like, I, I couldn't believe I, I heard that because you spend so much time making the thing. It is your baby. Uh are you not going to nurture it? And then I think about, uh, there was that Dark Knight Returns documentary with Frank Miller where he was talking about, like, you know, his comic. And, and, and it might have even been in the Eisner-Miller book that we did on the channel where he talks about, like, you know, being proud of his babies, getting to grow up and, and you know, celebrate a 10th birthday or a 15th birthday or 30th or something like that. And and uh, and that that's hip-hop family tree for me. Like, it gets to celebrate it's 10th birthday. 10 and years, it, damn near a generation too. You know, it's a whole new generation that you get to put this book in front of as well. Totally, totally. And I'm very excited about it. Uh, this this is our our year for that. You got the Princess of Poverty book coming out uh, reasonably soon. We'll do a video yes. on that to talk about uh, the, you know, the genesis of Street Angel and, and, and all of that good stuff. But had to let the, the kayfabe audience know we've built this great platform. Uh, it's been a while since since I sat in front of the camera to to talk about like a new big book that I'm that I'm excited about, and uh, hope everybody supports the project. Yeah, I'm so excited to see it come out this year, man. It feels like the uh, the next wave. Totally, man. So thank you guys. I uh, hit my uh, description, hit my link in the description below. You can pre-order uh, right away. Uh, you got a good shop that will uh, hold on to it, that will reserve you a copy. Then uh, by all means. Use your comic shop. I, I need to make uh, this work as convenient as possible for any customers to get their hands on the thing. And uh, we appreciate the support of our audience here on the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel because it keeps our videos uh, coming out on a very regular basis. We don't sell comics. We don't make videos. It's kind of as simple as that. And with that in mind, uh, the march I'll give the marching orders, Jimmy, if you don't mind. Hit it. Read more Hip Hop Family Tree comics and buy the new book.